This is the live event and podcast where we interview someone from the radio business each Monday live on the Clubhouse app. You are about to hear this week's interview, and we pack each episode with great questions. Of course, we also have the kind of guests that bring you different and highly valuable content each week focused on building a career in broadcast media. If that does not sound like something you're interested in, you in the wrong place. Today's guest is exactly what you want in a market manager, able to cast a large vision, be practical and aggressive, focus on revenue and balance that with valuing the team of people making things happen on a daily basis. But today's guest has earned these skills through experience and I dare say experiences that you will hear soon enough on this live event and podcast. Welcome to the Radio Rally on Clubhouse. What you are about to hear will be focused on lifting you up, giving you good advice, and hearing stories from an amazing radio pro, as well as uncovering the path forward in radio right now. My name is Lloyd Ford. I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. I work with encouragement, strategy, behavior, and aggression to bring our clients unnatural advantages in their local radio market every single day. We really help local broadcasters make more money by being an affordable programming partner who can fully develop the right position for your local brand or brand, coach, your morning show talent and other talents, design and execute station architecture, provide weekly music updates, and even produce your daily music logs if you need that, provide excellent voice trackers, sales, and promotional ideas that will move the needle, and a lot more. We're confidential and market exclusive for radio. If you have a problem gets in the way of your ratings or your revenue, reach out anytime. We'd love to hear from you. F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. We don't lock away anything on our site the way some consultants do. You'll find this interesting. Go to RainmakerPathway.com anytime and see what you can get for free from our team. See our full upcoming guest calendar all the way through the middle of August. We've already got it scheduled out. And, of course, it's in our free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com. We have encouragement for on-air and promotions with our more than live and local guest series. And even more encouragement for local radio sellers with our Encouraging Sales Success Series, as well as free resources for anyone in radio today. Today's live event, of course, will be a podcast called the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, and will become available soon after the end of this live event, wherever you get your podcast. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events at JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. Meet our guest, of course, on Clubhouse every Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, uh, or you can subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a thing. The Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast is on Apple, Audible, Spotify, and almost anywhere you get your podcast. What's about to happen on this live event, you might ask? Well, today we get to talk with Senior VP, Market Manager of Odyssey in Greenville, South Carolina. His name is Steve Sinecropi, and I promise it's going to be worth the wait. Listen, before we talk to Steve, next Monday, July 4th, the Encouragers, the Radio Rally is taking the day off. Well, you didn't expect that, right? But we do have a special event planned for Thursday, July 7th, 4 p.m. Eastern, 
and 1 p.m. Pacific for all local radio sellers anywhere, all sales managers and market managers. And this event is free. We're calling this special event Show Me the Money. Alec Drake from Drake Media Group in Dallas and I will be co-hosting this event. And of course, it will result in a podcast episode as well, Odyssey uh, St. Louis Senior VP Market Manager Becky Dumyan will be here along with Donna Baker, who's the Regional VP with Cumulus Media and also oversees the Kansas City market, will also be on our exclusive radio panel for revenue that day. Come find out how we can help you boost your Q3 and Q4 revenue in your market. That's what that event is about. Our regular Monday night radio rally returns again on July 11th, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And our July 11th visit will be with Lauren Lowe Sessions. She's the assistant program director and music director for KTFM Energy 94.1 in San Antonio, Texas. So listen, let's do this one right here, because this is going to be interesting. I've wanted to have today's guest on for a long time. I've sat in his office with him. I don't know if he remembers that. And I've listened to his story, and it's a great story. Steve Sinecropi is the Senior VP and Market Manager for Odyssey in Greenville, South Carolina. But Steve has a long history in our business that stretches back at least to the 1980s. And he has also been unafraid to transfer his skills at different times beyond broadcast. Listen up. Steve is the president of the South Carolina Broadcasters Association and the president of the South Carolina Broadcasters Association Educational Foundation. And he's also on the board of the Greenville Symphony Association. So he's pretty involved. Steve, welcome to the Encouragers and the Radio Rally. How are you, sir? Well, hello, Lloyd. I'm Thank you for having me. I've learned more about myself in the last five years than I knew, so I, I appreciate the big introduction. Thank you. Well, we like to do our research, and uh, I think we get things right, which is really good. Listen, uh, can you tell us how you first got involved with the broadcast industry? How that happened to you? Well, <clears throat> it's kind of a funny story, I think. At the time, I was going to college, and I was working in a high-end jewelry store, and a guy came in to buy something for his girlfriend, and I sold him a ring and a watch and a necklace. And he said, hey, you're a pretty good salesperson. Why don't you come work for me? I said, what do you do? He said, I'm the sales manager for the local radio station. I said, what do you sell? He said, commercials. I said, who would want one of those? He said, a lot of people. Why don't you apply? So I did. And that was, that was the beginning. That was the beginning. I had to, um, I had to borrow, I borrowed a, a 1977 Cadillac from one of my friends, opened a charge account, bought a suit, went to a men's haberdashery store. I don't think they have those anymore, bought a Hartman briefcase. And I showed up like I was somebody and uh, they hired me and gave me a list. And I started as a radio salesperson in well, Iowa City, a, Iowa. Well, no, wait a minute. Here's the question, because I didn't expect that. Were you good at it? Did you show up and were you somebody or did you have to learn it? What happened? Um, you know, I worked with, uh, never forget, the guy's name was Lucky Grossen. And my sales manager was a guy named Rolf Pepley, who was a mentor for me early in my career. 
And uh, yeah, I was really good at it. And I became one of the top billers, I think, in the first six, seven, eight months. And um, I got uh, so good at it. They had a sales contest, which was two weeks in the Bahamas. So I won that and I used it for my honeymoon. And after that, I became a sales manager and a general manager there. Oh, yeah. Boy, you know, just find the guy who can sell the most. That's your sales manager, right? That's how it worked back then. Yeah. You bet. All right. So somewhere in the beginning of these interviews, we always like to kind of slip into a place of beginning. Can you tell us about I, I, I'm, I hope I say this right, because it does. It seems like it's easy. The University of Iowa Tippy College of Business. Yeah, so I, I went to the University of Iowa as a professor at the University of Iowa. So um, it used to be called the University of Iowa Business School. And then it was somebody bought the, you know, gave some money and got the naming right. So it became the Tippy College of Business. But I'm a graduate of the university of, um, and um, in the business school there. So uh, that's where I went to college. And Iowa City is where I got my first radio job. And Iowa City is where I first managed a radio station, KXIC, KKRQ for Tom Ingstead Broadcasting. I love how fast you, at least it seems like you moved up. I want to know, in college, was it sort of your goal to, I, I, I want to say, you know, because we know you now, the market manager's chair, or did you have any idea you wanted to manage business back then? No, not really. I mean, when I was 20 years old, you could drink in Iowa when you're 18. So while I was going to college, I was the general manager of Granddaddy's Disco, which was the largest bar in the state of Iowa. It held 2000 people. So while I was going to college, I managed a, um, a giant bar for a long, for a long time. And so wait, so we can call you there in Greenville at Odyssey and we just leave a message go, yeah, uh, listen, would you have uh, the granddaddy? What's, yeah. Dance your ass off. Well, of course it was. So can we say, you know, can you have the, the general manager of granddaddy's disco call? Yeah. That'd be, that'd be a good opener, I would think. You probably return that I call. I would return you? that call. I'd be curious. Mm -hmm. Nice, of course. So look. In the 1980s, you worked for All Pro Broadcasting in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Your situation there didn't start out as a job somebody might envy, uh, but you did spend a good amount of time there, and you made that into a really big success. Can you talk to us about that experience? Sure. So, um, at the time, first, you know, I'm the general manager in Iowa City, Iowa, and uh, my mentor. Rolf Pepley had moved on to be the sales manager at B96 in Chicago. And uh, he called me and said, look, it's time for you to move up the big leagues. There's a, a broken radio station in Milwaukee, and I think you're the right guy to fix it. Nice. Well, at the time, I'm in Iowa City, which is market number, I don't know what, 300. In Milwaukee was market number 24. And I'm 29, 29 years old. So um, I reached out to the owner. Lee Davis, the former, he's deceased now, but he was the NFL uh, Hall of Famer from the Green Bay Packers in the Lombardi era. And um, I pitched the job on the phone and he gave me an opportunity to fly up and meet him. And um, 
I flew up, met him, had lunch, closed the deal. And uh, two weeks later, I was in Milwaukee as the general manager of what was then Love 102. Now, did he have any idea you were coming? Did he know that you would pitch this? Well, look, I had pitched the job. So, I mean, I had the appointment with him. He, he, no, I, no, 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 no. I meant before you called him. Did he know? No, no. Oh, wow. No, it was out of the blue. And I, I'm sure it was a courtesy interview. Kind of like, okay, I'll meet you. And I told him I was a Packer fan. And I said, look, I'm five foot six with a mustache. You know, how will I know you? He said, oh, you'll know me when you see me. He's a giant. He was a giant man. He's huge. So yeah. he won't have a problem. You know, so we met and I said, look, uh, I can fix your radio station and, you know, I can put it up at the top. And he said, why don't you set a reasonable expectation? I said, well, I think I can make it the number one FM. And, um, you know, in two years, we went, I think, around a chair to a nine eight and we were the number one FM. Okay, so let me ask you this. You're 29 and I know part of this answer for somebody like me, but I want to know about you. Okay. At 29, what gave you the confidence to go, you know what? I know I can really do this. Um, I don't well, you're know. You're market 24, right? Yeah. It was market number 24 when it was 29, right? It was top 25. It's, it's since, since then, but, um, yeah, you're not in Iowa anymore. You, you've look, got a I, I like to win. You know, I just had confidence in myself. I've always been a confident guy and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, well, I think you need to project a winning attitude. You need to act like a winner. You need to have a plan. And when I came in, I thought, you know, my father told me, he says, look, you never want to follow Sinatra. And uh, I wasn't. And then the place was a mess. I mean, it was in bad shape. And luckily, he let me make switches. You know, we changed to a rhythmic CHR, and I had some great programmers and some crazy promotions. And... Uh, we went up against a very established company that owned the morning and afternoon newspaper, the number one AM, the number one FM, and, uh, the, and the number one TV station in the market. We had no marketing budget, and we still won. Oh, Steve, everything you're describing is so exciting to me. <laughs> so what is, what is more exciting, a turnaround or having a really amazing set of properties or is there no difference to this excitement for you about either of these things? It's well, they're, they're both different. Look, you take a lot of pride out of building something. Yes. And I've had an opportunity to do turnarounds in Milwaukee, Detroit, um, and in Greenville. Mm -hmm. And they've all been satisfying. But, you know, the hardest thing is to stay someplace for a while and keep it there. I mean, that okay. is that is hard and it's satisfying. And, you know, when I got into the business, you had a manager for one or two stations. And, you know, now I oversee seven plus, you know, we have all these digital platforms as well. So lots of it's children. a different business now than it was. Yeah, you, you have lots of children, right? Yes. A lot. And, and it's really interesting. Um, have you always been a revenue guy? Yeah, I think you know what I mean. Or do you consider your career path through some other view, through management or through, how do you see it? Well, I, I, I've never, although I'm good at generating revenue and I've done, I have a track record of doing that, but it's more than that. I think if you're really going to be great at this business, 
you have to understand and respect programming and promotion and be able to create something. It's a lot easier to sell a really good brand than it is the one that's not very good. And too many people don't respect the actual product and put the time and effort into the product. That's right. Um, you know, and I learned from all of my different opportunities that I had. And I spent 10 years with Cox, which was a great, great time, I think, you know, here in Greenville because, right. you know, I had a chance to use a lot of tools and to have a really good understanding, you know, improve what it takes to build great content. But, you know, whether it was in Milwaukee, it was all about building great content to create sales. I mean, if we didn't have terrific, exciting content that people are talking about with great ratings, wouldn't have done it. In Detroit, I had the Howard Stern station and Howard, and, and it was all FM talk. And uh, Howard never cracked, uh, I don't even know if he cracked cracked the top 10, but once or twice in the five years I was there and we made our money in the other day parts where we brought in a show called Dominski and Doyle and afternoon drive. And they went to number one with men 2554. And we sold that. You have to create something that is a place that people want to consume the content and advertisers have, they want it and salespeople have the confidence to sell it. So to answer your question, I think, I think they're both as important. If you can do both, you're better off than somebody that can only do one. Well, and Milt McConnell was here last week on the radio rally. And one of the things that he said was, you have a unique story. Like your cluster of radio stations, your radio brands, they have a unique story. You have to sell that story. That's right. That's exactly it. I mean, it has to stand out. You know, we did some crazy promotions in Milwaukee. Um, you know, I can remember when there was a huge controversy about women going into the locker room for football. You may remember that. And, yeah. and it was a big deal. Well, we got press passes for the Gilmore brothers who were our morning show. And we sent them to the Packers Bears game. And, you know, they walked in wearing jock straps to do the interview and they got thrown out. The players thought it was funny. We made the 11 o'clock news or press passes got yanked and the ratings went up because they were making a point and said, look, if the players got to be naked. The reporter should be too. And I don't know if you could do that today, but back then those types of things got people to talk about you and listen to you and help build audience. Yeah. I hate to tell you, I talk about radio invisibility a lot because there's a lot of it today. Uh, I think there needs to be more risk taking uh, what let's call it measured risk. And by the way, you are familiar with risk taking in this country where we certainly talk. Uh, we love to talk about success, but success isn't where you tend to learn the most. I'm uncertain that people would know this about you unless they spent some a good amount of time with you. You took adventure into the digital world earlier in your career. Can you talk to us about CyberTunes? Yeah, so that's an interesting story. So I had been in Milky with all pro broadcasting for about 10 years and had decided um, to move on. And um, I was pitched a job at the time by Cumulus. And actually, they pitched me a job to move to um, the Caribbean and manage what were then their properties with Trinidago, oh, no. Montserrat, all this stuff. And I'm going to move oh, there. I know about that. Yeah. So I had plans to go there. You were going to go? 
I was going to go. And then I did some more research and I thought, you know, this doesn't look as good as I think it was going to be. And um, so one of my clients was called Cybertoons and Cybertoons um, was really the brainchild of a super smart guy named Andy Flessis, who now owns a company called Andy Robot. And he does all kinds of things with animation and robots. I think he's doing TV movies and uh, all sorts of stuff. But at the time, he, he said, look, why don't you come join me and take over as president of Cybertoons because we're we, we want to build some interesting things. So um, I took the job. It was kind of a flyer. And uh, it was a technology company. We hired programmers from all over the world. Uh, we had a partnership with Oracle. We went and saw them. They brought programmers in and clients like ESPN and Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company. We had a farm. We did high-end graphics. But then we built some software that was a lot like Facebook that was called MyCyberWeb. And I went to the NAB and the RAB and tried to get broadcasters to get into this idea that we could create this network of websites where individuals could post and share information and we could send targeted advertising. They all thought it was kind of neat, but nobody understood it and nobody was ready to push the button on it. So I got frustrated and uh, Dan Mason called me and offered me a job in uh, Detroit, turnaround station in Detroit. Well, let's don't let's don't go there yet. Yeah. I want to know what did that adventure teach Steve Sinecroppy? Well, it taught me that if you have enough people and money, you can do almost anything. I mean, we had, well, we, first of all, it's software, my experience in this, and this is the dot-com booming time. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody was going in, everybody was throwing around a lot of money. So we had a, you know, a big investor who, you know, it was kind of funny. We'd meet in a bar every every week and he'd say, what's our burn rate? Let's basically how much of his cash vaporized this week. Yeah, right. And I'd say, well, 200 grand or whatever it is. And he'd take out his check and he'd write a check and we'd put it in the account and we'd go for another week. And, um, you know, we there are so many things about in a software company that you have to think through. And the pace of business, although the development is nonstop, the sales cycle is really long. In radio, we kind of like the juice because when you're in media, you know, you're talking to a client, you come up with an idea. Next week, you're on the air, you're doing something. In the software business, you know, the sales cycle can be very long. It could be months or years. I mean, it goes on for a very long time. And for me, the pace was so slow compared to what I was used to. I mean, I learned a lot. It's a mismatch for you, isn't it? Well, it, you know, it, uh, I think I, my attention span needs a little interruption a little bit more often. I mean, I love the experience. It was fantastic. And I met some great people. There are people that um, went on to do a lot of really good and important things. And they're still lifelong contacts and friends. Right. But that is a, you know, um, in Milwaukee isn't really the spot for a business like that either. Probably should have been moved to the West Coast. Um, but it was a, it, it was, it was very interesting. I learned a lot about software, about internet companies. I remember sitting at my desk the day that Google launched and I was sitting with Andy Flessis, who was, you know, the genius behind all of the development that we did. And he came in and said, this company is going to own the internet. 
I said, are you kidding me? There's there's nothing on the page. Look, I've got Yahoo up and it's got, you know, 100 widgets on my page, right, sure. weather and stock and all sorts of stuff. And he said, he said, look, you have to understand. He says, this is the electronic butler. People don't want to look at all this stuff. They want to ask it and it will give it back. He called it the intelligent digital agent. And he said, this will own the Internet because it's simple. Anybody can operate it. And it gives them whatever they want. They don't have to look for it. It brings it to them. Oh, and, that thing about being simple is a big <laughs> thing, Steve. Well, the other thing I learned in that business is you said, look, a part of everything you need to do is that you need to have a simple, intuitive, elegant interface. And whether that's software or anything else you do, you don't want to overcomplicate it. So I've always tried to keep things as simple, elegant, and easy to use as possible. And I think that gives you the best chance to win. Do you also think it's important to put this first? What problem am I going to solve? Well, that is important because a lot of times people come to you with stuff and say, well, what problem is this solving? I ask that question a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. Generally, when you know something new is happening in our company or in the industry, I'm like, okay, what problem are we trying to solve? Because if it doesn't solve a problem, it's not immediately useful. I mean, there or, may be long-term strategic reason for it, but, you know, it's just like when you, when you speak to a client, you need to, you know, one of the things I was first taught in sales is that on the forehead of every customer, it says, who cares what's in it for me? And if not answering those questions while you're having the discussion, your odds of, of making the sale go way down. It's all they really care about is, why they should care, and what's in it for them. That is exactly right. Do you consider yourself someone who understood the importance of digital early for the radio business? Well, I like to think so. When I was in Milwaukee, we started an ISP. So my station, an alternative station for a while called New Rock 1021, and, and we had newrock.com. So we were an ISP. We did uh, an event called Cyberfest, where we gave out smart cards and all, and everybody into it had a smart card, and you would put that into a device at every booth, and that would allow for the capture of information and for some sort of activation at at partners. So, I've always had a keen interest in technology. I like it. Look, you took another role for CBS. You you talked about this real briefly, but I'm going to take you back. This was in the late 90s and early 2000s. This was a turnaround, wasn't it? Yeah, the um so the station at the time was was K-Rock and um it had been beaten up pretty badly. It didn't have any ratings, it didn't have any revenue. And it was Howard Stern in the morning. And, you know, rock all day. And it was sort of a Me Too station to riff, which was a very powerful, well-established station with a gigantic morning show, Drew and Mike. And, mm. you know, trying to out Drew and Mike, Drew and Mike wasn't working. You know, markets where Howard Stern was tremendously successful and for whatever reason, it wasn't one of them. So right. we had to find a way to change the station. And, you know, first the station went to extreme radio. And then one day the company called me and said, nope, you're going to be a talk station. It's going to be guy talk because we're in this in Los Angeles and in CKG in Chicago. And 
So, I mean, I had a crazy station. I had Howard Stern on, and then I had Mancow on for him, and they didn't like each other. Then I had Steve Dahl on, and they didn't <laughs> like each other. And, um, you know, a lot of stuff like that. And uh, I had a, a man-hater station. <laughs> yeah. So everybody on the station hated each other. Um, but we ended up finding a way. And we, you know, we quadrupled the billing in the five years that I was there, but it was all local direct because no agency would, because we were the aggressive guy talk station. So if it was an agency, they didn't want to see us, but if it was a direct business, they liked us because people listened to it and it worked. And look, that aggressive talk, did that help you sell locally? Oh, 100%. All of our business yeah. was local. And, that, you know, it, it did work. And, you know, people it's said- high passion, right? Yeah. Look, I, I explained it this way. So, I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was small QM, huge TSL. So people would say, you know, kind of, you know, one of the, the, pre, the president of CBS at the time was a guy named Kenny O'Keefe. And he, he came to town. He said, explain, you know, the, your, your radio station to me. And I said, well, we have WWJ, which is the giant news station. It's like McDonald's. Everybody knows what it is. Mm. And they all go there every once in a while. Then we have WYCD, the country station. That's like KFC. They don't go as much as uh, they go to McDonald's, but they go there a lot and they know what it is. And I said, 97.1 FM talk is like the ostrich burger store. Um, like hardly anybody <laughs> wants to try it. Those that do love it and they have it for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And that friends. Well, how did he respond to this? He kind of gave me a uh, an odd look and said, okay, thanks a lot. And I think that was pretty much the conversation. Did he say something like, thanks for keeping the revenue going up, up, up. We like that. Well, yeah, it was, it was something, it was kind of like, let's talk about what we're selling, but, and we did sell a lot. So right, we had so a look at some point you became aware of Greenville, South Carolina. And I know this personally because at some point I became aware of Greenville. I did not know about it before. Uh, for you, was it Cox Media that brought you to Greenville? Well, it was. I mean, I actually, you know, I had worked with Kim Guthrie at Cox, and she had actually seller and a sales manager for me in Milwaukee. Right. And Alder and said that I was uh, interviewing for a job in Atlanta. And she said, well, that's where our headquarters is, so you won't be coming to work against us in Atlanta, you'll be going to one of our properties. I said, oh, okay. And she said, I'm, I'd like you to come look at Greenville. And uh, I said, I don't even know where that place is. So right. I'm in Detroit. And she convinced me that it was a good opportunity and I should come down and look at it. Came well, and I'm gonna say, listen, I want to say this to you right away. People who don't know Greenville, I mean, it's a really interesting market. I want you in a minute, I'm going to ask you about your current stations, but I want to say this first. When you first got to Greenville, I mean, that other cluster that you were doing with Cox, let's say that they didn't have the greatest cluster, right? They had well, they had some They had some good ratings. They just didn't have very good revenue, and they didn't have good marketing, and they didn't have a good sales team, and they didn't have a lot of good anything. And that's why they brought me mm -hmm. in. I mean, Kim had worked with me in Milwaukee and said, look, you know, you took – you know, a bad station and made it real good. I, you right. know, I, I need somebody that can do that here. And I think you can. So she had the confidence and trust in me and gave me the ship and um, convinced me to come to Greenville. And it was the best decision I ever made. And we redid the, this. We re, we did. We we 
everything. And uh, I can remember uh, when the station, you know, climbed in the Miller Kaplan's from a poor position to a top position. Yeah. And uh, did really well. There were powerful, well-established stations here. And I had a format, you know, I basically, it was the urban format with both stations. And it wasn't what I would call really well positioned here in the market or people didn't know how to value it properly. And um, we had a terrific run. I mean, it went really well and I loved it. And then uh, when Cox decided to sell the stations where they didn't also own television or cable, uh, that's when I decided that I didn't want to work for the acquiring company. And oh, yeah. uh, I knew Wheezy and we had a conversation and a couple of days later, I was at my former competitor. That one decision right there makes that just gets you another check mark of how smart you are. But I will say this you always strike me as a command and control guy. You like things to look a certain way, you have a vision for it, and you're good at casting that vision, which I think is pretty incredible. Uh, for a market manager, I'm sorry, it is. I want you to tell us about the stations where you are right now in Greenville, South Carolina with Odyssey. I want you to kind of give us a little background on Greenville, Spartanburg, Anderson as a market too, because some people may not be as familiar with that in South Carolina. And it's one of the most amazing markets in the Southeast for sure. Well, Greenville, South Carolina is the new South. It's a rapidly expanding you know, it's growing super fast here. It's like super fast growing. So this is uh, Nielsen Radio Market number 58, but at Television DMA, it's number 38 because it also includes the Asheville Radio Metro. So there's a million people in the Radio Metro, but there's two million people in the Television DMA. Right. So um, a lot of industry it's moving here. This is moved would change from an old textile town, the textile new, capital of the world. That's right. So it's moved from that. I mean, all those old textiles are now high end lofts, you know, for in apartments and condos. So, um, you know, it's moved to more more technology. People are moving here. The downtown has exploded. It's become a foodies place. Um, entertainment is growing next. I mean, it's a really it's it's a it's a great spot. It's got terrific well, and, weather. And your market also has the biggest inland port on the eastern seaboard, right? Well, it does. And a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, the BMW manufacturing facility is here. And so most of the BMWs that are sold in Europe are actually made here in Greenville and then up to the port in Charleston and then sent to Europe. Yes, and they have that little train station right inside the BMW <laughs> plant, right? Well, there you go. That's you know, so great, it's it's gotten a lot bigger than that, though. It's it's serving so many more industries. It's really interesting, you know, the kind of growth that's taking off in that market. But what about your stations? You've got a really interesting set of stations, and you've done a great job with them, Steve. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So we have seven radio stations. When when I came, we had five stations and then I decided I needed some more. So, you know, we have the largest cluster of translators where we created additional brands. So over the past, I guess I've been there nine years now. So we we created our sports station, the Fane. 
using two translators and two AMs and an HD, the multicast profitable sports station. We created an urban station by taking an HD and three different translators and creating it. We have uh, the top CHR in the market. We have the top ACE in the market. We have a big uh, rock stem with the Rise guys who we also syndicate to Chattanooga and to New Orleans. We have um, a really big classic rock in here. And then, uh, you know, the jewel of the crown is 106.3 WRD, our news talk station, which is amazing with its efficacy Um of its advertising business for advertisers. And, you know, it's not unusual for our morning host to have 20, 22, 23, 24 endorsed every day. Wow. Nice. Nice. And do you feel like that news talk station is the most connected thing to the ground from broadcast media in that market? A hundred percent I do. And I strongly believe that live local radio where you control the content, like a morning show that's mostly spoken word or an afternoon show that's mostly spoken word or a news talk or a sports station are not only the the way to monetize it the best, but I think they're the most effective and efficient. And honestly, I think that's the future for our business is locally connected content that you can't get elsewhere, which gives huh. us leverage. Huh. That's a really interesting concept. Yeah. <laughs> Let's spread that around. Listen, I, here comes the, here comes the PhD portion of, of the broadcast. Okay. I think that market managers with as much experience as you must, especially remember impact on our business uh, for days like September 11th, 2001, whatever dates you want to associate with the 2008 financial crisis, that was super fun. And of course, COVID and, and the aftermath, if that's what we're going to call what now is, what in your opinion is the key to handling crisis for all the people you're responsible for in your cluster? Like this is a question for anybody, but we want to know how do you handle all those things? What's well, the key? Well, the first thing is you need to have great members of the team. You're only as good as your team members. I mean, everybody has a everybody has a transmitter and a tower. You know, the difference are the people that are on your team. That's the difference. So, I mean, I have a, a director of sales who's been with me wherever I've worked for most of my 18, 19 years here in in Greenville, who I trust and who works super hard for me and, you know, thinks like you and can complete my sentences. I have programmers and operations people who have worked for me for at least nine years who, you know, the same thing. So we have people who have been here for a while. You know, we meet every week, a couple of times a week, and it's important to build a culture where people understand what's expected and you have people that buy into your culture. If they don't, they should go somewhere else where they'll be happier and you'll find people that conform. But I mean, you got to build a team and culture. And if you don't do that, you can't win. I think we've had a really great culture, strong team members, people that are very, very good, you know, and I couldn't do anything without the great people that do most of the work at our, our radio stations. Steve, I'm going to tell you something. Your people in Greenville, your people, 
okay, that work for you, they talk about you very, in a very, very respectful, in a, I want to say in a high way, they have a lot of respect for you. And it's obvious. I don't know if you're aware of that as much, but I'm telling you, this is, I've experienced this myself. Well, that's nice to hear. And, you know, I think part of it is that, you know, I don't micromanage people. We, we have a vision and they run with what they need to do. I mean, they know that, you know, if something's on the margins, they'll check in with me. But, you know, I trust my people to make good decisions. And I think they like that. And I also give them the freedom, you know, everyone you know, creating a work-life balance where people can have a life, what they do is very important. You know, COVID has taught me that not only great people, but people who want to run their own business and their own business is what they're doing for me. So like all of our sellers, I tell them, I said, you know what? We supply the product and the training and the tools, but it's your business. You have to operate it. Some of you are going to be super successful. Some businesses are going to make money. Some are barely going to even, and some of them might not go. But And that's really because they have to do all of that. So I want entrepreneurs who have bought into our culture as our team members. Well, that's interesting. Listen, can we talk about radio's journey into digital in general? How have you, I, this is so interesting to me, especially somebody who's aggressive like you are, because that's like a party for me. I like aggressive people. Uh, how have you viewed the different versions of how radio gets into the digital business? Not just Odyssey, but, you know, what's happening around the block, if you will, you know? Well, look, I think if everybody's realistic about it, I mean, broadcast radio generates majority of the sales and the cash flow, but the future is digital. And, you know, it used to be that if you owned a bunch of towers and transmits, you know, that's what it took to win. Now what it takes right. to win is the content. So it's real platform agnostic. So you're really following Zoom on the platform that they choose at the time that they choose. So digital is super important. It's becoming a bigger and bigger portion of of what we do. And I think, you know, you know, the other challenge is that, you know, when you when you had the only rock station or you had the only this, you had something that was unique in the world of digital. Everybody sells everything. I mean, we sell OTT, the TV sell OTT, the independents do that, the, you know, the, the cable stations do that. We sell SEM and SEO and everybody else sells it too. You know, it's so, really interesting that you bring that up because then we're going to have to use the relationship word. Well, I, I think a lot of advertisers, especially, you know, ones that aren't the largest corporations, the ones that are in local markets, I mean, there are many choices. And if you are the expert yeah. that takes them to learn their business that they trust, a lot of times it's easy and better for them to invest with a person that can put them on the right platforms rather than having five, six different vendors trying to juggle, juggle it all. Is that an important part of your business at Odyssey? You want your sellers to understand we want to be those guys, if you will. 100%. I mean, our... Uh, the expectation is that, you know, our people are paid the same, whatever they, we don't care. It's whatever is right for the customer. Right. So the goal is to find out, you know, what the customer's needs are, what their pain points points are, and 
how we can help them. But nobody gets up in the morning and says, hey, I want to. I want to buy X, Y or Z, right? Nobody does that. They get up and they right. say, wow, how do I sell these 40 cars? Well, if, right now it's more like I find 40 cars to sell. But it's like, how do I sell these products? How do I sell these services? So, you know, right. if you can provide that service. I don't really care about the platform. They care about the results and having a big toolbox is important. But as a seller, you need to understand which one's appropriate and how to use them to get the maximum result for your customer. Listen, I know that this will mean something to you. I had the, both the sales manager and the market manager for WTOP in Washington on. And one of the first things that the market manager said to me is he goes, nobody cares that we're from WTOP. They don't care. They care about selling what they're going to – they got problems. They Like, how do you help me with my problem? And that's what we have to do. And I am definitely picking up on the fact that you are just like that. 100%. I mean, look, I mean, if you come in here, I mean, you know, spouting all your features and identity and all that, I mean, that's not really what they care about. Again, on their forehead, this has never changed. Who cares what's in it for me? Right. If you're answering those questions from day one, you know what? You have a problem selling all these widgets, and I can help you. This is why you should care. And let me tell you, you know, what my idea is to do that. Now I'm interested, not like, gee, did you know I have seven stations and we have a tower yeah. that's this tall? They don't care about any of that. That's right. So listen, how are you handling digital at Odyssey and Greenville? Well, every one of our sellers is trained on it regularly. We have a digital sales manager. We have a very large digital department at Odyssey, both in whether that's in fulfillment, whether that's in sales, it's in executing the sales, you know, pre-sale, putting it together. Um, it's a, you know, we can all of the digital buzzwords. It's robust. So I'm a lot. <laughs> of course it is. Right. You know, and, you know, the best part is you're training your people and it sounds like you're training your people to look at what is happening to the customer, not what is happening to Odyssey. Well, that's it's really it's all about is, you know, this is what these are the tools they have and the improvements in the tools and the changes. I mean, this business changes all the time. So as an example, you know, one of our, you know, a tool that we have, which is pretty great, is that we have a partnership with Amazon DSP. So, you know. Amazon's the world's largest database of what shop for and buy. Now we can take no that information and apply it to a sales tactic, whether it's OTT or something else, to give them the kind of targeting efficacy that would which was never possible before. Well, you're getting into the data world, which you know I love. I mean, you got great data. That's a good place to begin. Listen, I, I'm going to switch gears on you for a minute. How did you become involved with the South Carolina Broadcasters Association? You're the president. My God. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, to? Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, somebody has to do it, right? But, That's um, right. You know, I've always been involved with our state associations wherever I've been and um, served in various different positions. And so um, I served as the president of the Education Foundation until January, where I became president of the Broadcasters Association. And right. during my time period as the president of the Education Foundation, we were able to grow our foundation corpus through some 
investing and and expand the number of scholarships that we gave out to students and the number of schools that are participating. And mm-hmm. you know, we've hired a student-run advertising agency at Clemson to help us do some rebranding and are doing some additional things for us. But, you know, as the, you know, I think it's important with our broadcast associations to lift up where we are and where we're going in the future. As a matter of fact, we're having a retreat this summer, sort of planning of where are we going over the next decade and what do we need to do and how do we brand ourselves and how do we help the pipeline of of talented people coming into our company or into our uh, into our industry right. so that we can continue to be powerful and relatable. That's right. So listen, I you know I'm going to ask this. Let's say you've got a seller in your building who wants this or somebody calls you up, you know, with that question about you in the disco bar uh, and uh, they just want that entry with you. Right. But what they really want is to grow into a market manager's position today. You know, you remember when you were young, you're you're the young guy, you know, the young, aggressive guy. How do you get there today? What do you tell them? Well, you know what? That's really hard to do because, you know, when I got into it, there was one manager for every station. Now there's one manager for every five, six or eight or 10 stations or two markets or three markets. Oh, yeah. So I think there's two different ways. If you're with small, you know, if you're with independence, you have an opportunity to push yourself up in sort of the most true way. If you're with a larger company, you've got to stand out and be remarkable. But it's becomes increasingly harder because the talent pool is is strong, and you know they're looking for people that are creative that get results. Um, so I, there's no easy answer to it, but I would say that it's more challenging with the larger companies just because there's fewer opportunities than there are with the smaller companies. But there may be ways to grow in the larger companies. So maybe the job you want isn't GM. Maybe it's digital sales manager, original digital sales manager, or re- or digital VP, or some sort of thing like this. So every broadcast company is really growing in the digital area. And if somebody wants to really move up, I think you better learn the digital playbook backwards and forwards because that's the future. And you better show that you're that guy or that girl or whatever right. you want to say it. Yeah. So listen, let's talk about this because I think, look, somebody comes to this podcast when it's on demand, which is really why we do this. Okay. Um, and and they're in the sales part of the business, whether they're a sales manager or a market manager or even a seller. How has hiring impactful, successful sellers changed in our business? Or has it? Look, uh, there there are always people that can that were great at selling. You always had two or three that were great, and then you had some that were pretty good, and then you had a couple that were okay, and then you had some that all that great. And you know, the sales staffs used to be super large, right? So I think you know it's kind of like we want the Navy SEALs now. So. You know, you want people that are really good at a lot of things. So they need to be able to manage themselves. So people who are great listeners, problem solvers, Mm. create big ideas and connect, you know, problem solving with platforms and opportunities and ideas. 
those are the people that are really going to make it. But if it's, you know, it's a smaller and smaller group of people. I mean, we have a really great team where we are. I'm really proud of our, our team. I mean, we had a, you know, we had a, a fantastic year last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of my people are off to having us, you know, another fantastic year again this year. And part of it is, you know, they're running their business like winners and doing right. things that's necessary. Well, and it doesn't matter what the rotation is, right? The, the, the great entrepreneur rotates to what's selling, what works. That's right. Look, you find something that works. And um, we have some products that really work. I mean, we've got great digital products. We've got some terrific brands. We have some powerful local personalities. And, you know, if you're uh, if you own your business and I can make your register ring, then you want to do business with me. And if I can't, then you don't. So our job is to make the cash register ring. Listen, I get to say this to you. uh, Not, not, I mean, forget about the adventure of the translators and all that. But when you first got into your position, I'm talking about with what was then Intercom and is now Odyssey. Those brands, uh, they had some good brands. They were not good at leveraging them. And I think those brands have improved. I think that there's been uh, more application of leverage for the value of them. I appreciate that. You know, I, I tend to think so, too. And the people who employ me must know because I'm still employed. So I hope everybody has that same idea. It's interesting that that you'd use those words, you know, because I would think somebody who's as aggressive and confident as you and somebody who can cast the vision that you cast and and get everyone go rolling in a direction. It's a incredible set of skills that a market manager needs today would not use words like that, but it shows what a servant leader you are, I think, in that situation. Listen, look, we always like to ask questions about the future. It's like a human nature thing, right? Humans can't resist, even though we know in our heart that nobody really knows the future. Boy, we want somebody to know and tell us. In your opinion, what is ahead for the radio business? Let me be specific. If you're in programming, what does that future look like? If you're in sales, what does that future look like? Well, if you're in programming, you um, and you want a long career, you'll be able to create great content that's localized because that's where I think the future is. I think the real differentiator is, I mean, we have great shows here, Tara in the morning, Charlie Jane talk station. We've got uh, Hawk and Tom on B93.7 when we've got the rise guys. I mean, I could keep going on, but it's having a position like that where you're a household name in a market that has a loyal audience for you, not for the station, for you. That's right. That's what's super important for programming, I think. You know, the, you know, I can, you know, I think a lot of music is fungible with a lot of different sources, but uh, that's with, you know, spoken word talent, and whether it's in a music station or a talk station. So I think if you're going to go into programming, you know, I, uh, 
and be really successful, I think that's where the future is. And you be able need to be able to deliver that on many different platforms. You know, we and, and by the way, I think that that's important for the company and for the sellers as well. Well, it is. I mean, these platforms are, you know, are important. And again, you know, let's take podcasting. You know, we started a podcast with uh, who's on our, our morning show on our news talk station, 106.3 D and her, you know, her battleground America podcast releases a new episode every weekday. And, you know, she's close to a hundred thousand downloads a month now. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, so you have to be able to create content, and so that's important on the programming side. On the sales side, you know, it's not selling one product. You need to understand all of the products in many different platforms and be an expert on digital and really understand marketing and how to listen and uncover the needs that a, that a prospect has and figure out how you can create value by solving a problem or taking advantage of an opportunity with the unique idea and the proper platform. And so you have to be more of a problem solver. I mean, you know, I can remember, you know, people used to go around with a clipboard, like, you know, how many spots you want in the station this week? Yeah, I mean, right. And, I mean, nobody does that. Right. Nobody wants to buy your station. They want to buy an idea that they don't want to miss out on. Right. That's right. Look, they, everybody wants to make an investment that right. has a return. Nobody That's wants exactly. an expense. So you need to decide how you're not going to be an expense and how you're going to be something that people want to invest in. All right. And look, a market manager like you, but not you. Okay. Let's forget about Steve for a minute. We're going to talk about somebody else in another market somewhere else. Does that guy or that girl have as much opportunity today to attract people from other industries, great sellers, great content people as we've ever had, or is it tougher in the future? No, I think, I, look, it's hard to find great people. It always has been. But, you know, one of the things that I like to do is I take great pride in that I have a lot of former employees who've gone on to bigger and better things. And when I have somebody that has an opportunity to improve themselves, I help them move on because I want them to be that person that says, you know what? Go talk to Steve. Right. You know, they help me recruit. So if you're building your network by helping people grow in your company and outside of your company and you're building your network that way, then you've got a leg up on other people who don't have that same sort of track record. People want to work for a benevolent employer who's looking out for their best interests. So I, I try to do that. Yeah. Somebody who cares about them, right? Correct. Well, listen, I want to thank you for being our guest on the encouragers, the radio rally, Steve, if it's okay with you, I'd like to ask you to hang out for just a few more minutes in case somebody in our audience might have a question for you. Would that be all right? Sure. All right. Now I am going to tell you, we are going to open up the room in case there are questions for you uh, uh, for our guest right now. All you have to do is push the button at the bottom of your iPhone or Android device raise, that raises your hand. We'll bring you up on the stage. We do ask that you mute your microphone if you do that. By the way, we found a lot of folks 
they don't really like to step up and ask questions. So one of the great things that we have done, we have an IM platform that allows people to ask questions that way. And we do have a couple of questions for you that way. Listen, don't forget to look for our free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com to see all of the things you can get for free to help your local radio cluster, local programming team, and your local sellers. So there's there's like free material for you. It's at RainmakerPathway.com, and I think you'll be pleased with it. Now, listen up. Steve, I got two questions for you here that are from our IM platform. The first one is... Um, have you seen recruitment of sellers change across time as a market manager? Yeah, I think we're more discriminating now. And I'm sorry, you're more what? We're more discriminating now. I mean, you have to go through a lot more to get the job. So, right. you know, it's, you know, there's a personality profile. There's a lot more background checking and, um, you know, you're competing with many other selling type of industries. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, years ago, when I first got into it, radio was a really sexy business. I mean, that was the closest thing to Hollywood that a lot of people would get to. So it, it, it had a cachet that I'm sure that it has anymore. So I think it's a little bit more challenging to attract people. And I think you have to reach out and have a really good network to attract the right kind of people. And of course you need to, to get the ones that have the right attributes you need for your sales environment. That's right. All right. Now uh, look, here's the last question and boy, it's a toe stumper for a market manager. That's got seven different formats. So this is, I'm just alerting you ahead of time that this is going to be challenging. Okay. But people always want to know, here's the question. Do you have a favorite format in our business? Yeah, I'll tell you, um, quite honestly, you know, one of my favorite stations that I had was uh, in Milwaukee was New Rock 1021. I love 90s alternative music. I don't, I don't have one of those. So my, I love that music. But here in Greenville, I, I listen to this word a lot. And that means 1063 WORD because it's the station that not only connects to advertisers, but to all the business and political influencers and 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 people make things happen here in the marketplace. So that's an extremely important radio station for me and one that I spend a lot of time with. Well, you spend a lot of time working on these radio stations and you spend a lot of time with us. And I want to thank you for that. We do try to keep things to about an hour. One of the great things about our live events is we go, look, you can just listen. Nobody's required to ask questions. We don't want to put anybody on the spot. I want to thank you for joining us every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the radio rally. Remember, if you know somebody that you would like to hear as a guest on the radio rally, email me. It's easy. F-O-R-D at Rainmaker Path. Pathway.com. We hope that you have a great week, like we like to say at Rainmaker Pathway, and we do it on the radio rally. Once you have a radio station, you get anything else you want. If you have trouble with that, you want to know what that means, you call me up. I'll be glad to explain it to you. Our thanks to Steve Sinecropi from Odyssey in Greenville, South Carolina. You should call him up. Tell him about that. You know, that you want to talk to the general manager of, I don't, Steve, what was the name of that place again? 
Granddaddy's Disco. Man, I wonder if they're still in business. Probably not. Well, yeah. anyway, look, Steve has been so patient and giving as a guest a very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which will be available literally in minutes. He's so fast with this. Uh, and also a thank you to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. Please do share our podcast, the Encouragers, the Radio Rally, with others that you know that are interested in growing their careers in audio in radio in sales uh our podcast is available on, on uh, apple spotify audible and almost anywhere you get your podcast if you don't remember anything that you've heard during this live broadcast and podcast please remember this be kinder than you have to be thank you for being a part of the radio rally and the encouragers and good night